Welcome, everyone, to the CavsCorner.com podcast, CavsCorner.com, your source for Virginia sports. I am Brad Franklin, publisher of CavsCorner.com, coming to you live from the place where Franklin State's in the west end of Richmond, where it is Wednesday, February the 17th. Um, there is some sort of winter weather moving in this general direction. Um, all of the participants on this podcast will have to deal with it in some way, shape, or form. But um, hopefully we'll get through the show with power and uh, everybody can stay safe out there. We are going to talk about, obviously, Virginia's, um, I don't you call it a loss, um, Monday night in Tallahassee, but it's more like a drubbing. Um, a, a very disconcerting uh, result for the Cavaliers in a variety of ways, which we will discuss. We've also got, I, I tossed something out to the guys about talking a little bit about uh, ways to fix this thing, and, and I wanted to kind of have that discussion through the prism or through the frame of um, what you what, what kind of player you would need to add and I think that would that's going to help a little maybe um, shine a light a little bit on like sort of the the oddness of what the way some of these pieces fit together um, you know I wrote a column about it a little bit but ultimately you know it's not like you're not I don't think you're in a position where you think the season is lost and all this and that but there's definitely some reason to think that uh that this group can be limited in, in part because of the way the pieces fit together. So we'll talk about that and maybe get into a little bit of basketball recruiting on the back end. Before we get started, let's go around and introduce everybody. First up in Fishersville, David Spence is back on the show. How's it going, my friend? It's about to snow on me. Uh, Virginia basketball evidently is headed towards mediocrity. Uh, it's a bad time. Who Dave's on the board at? Who Dave's on Twitter? Wow, that was depressing. <laughs> he said mediocrity just like, you know, he just evidently, tossed that out no. there, man. I just... Yeah, that's where we're headed. And uh, up in Loudon, staff writer Justin Ferber's also on this year program. What's going on, my dude? I'm all right. I'm one of these people. I don't want to say like I don't want to sound too curmudgeonly, but I'm sort of anti-snow, so I'm kind of over this. Um, yeah, that I said it. I know the big snow, you know, big snow lobby is is out there furious right now with me, but I said it. I'm anti-snow. I like warm weather. This is stupid. Right, yeah well i mean like it's not because oh it's so pretty to look at it's like cool you know it's 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 cool once or twice but like every other day come on now at just underscore Ferber on twitter and calves corner also on twitter calves underscore corner great place for the in-game updates the content items and the occasional witty banter if this was um gosh was it friends or seinfeld that named everything like the one where such and such this would be the episode where ferber talks about how he hates snow um I mean, that's all I really had to say. That's about really it, he has he has no other thoughts on UVA <laughs> basketball or anything else. Just basically, he hates snow and he would like it to be gone. I will say this: if it's gonna be cold and it's not gonna snow, then what's the point? You know, like yeah, that's true. Ice, freezing rain, sleet, you, y'all all can go to hell, right? Like if you're not gonna snow and I'll get to make a snowman or go sledding, whatever, then just don't. Then let's just not. You know, let's just See, not. That's where call I am it with it too. Is like I don't. It, when I was in school and got the day off, it was great. When I had to go to the office and wanted to work from home, that was great. But like now, I don't get anything out of it. So it's just I can't. <laughs> yes, yeah, it messes up the roads. Snow days What's in, in the, it for me. <laughs> snow days in the in yeah, the uh, that, in the, that's right. Snow days in a pandemic. Not not so cool. Not not so cool. Um, yeah. it it's it's also one of those things too. Like where when you were a kid, you got excited, man. You know, like oh man, it's gonna snow. Now as an adult, you're like oh man, it's gonna snow. Like you gotta, you gotta be worried about like, oh, you know, do I have food? Do I have gas? We're we gonna have power. You know, it's all these like real world things, man. When you were a kid, a all shovel. you, exactly, yes, exactly. Where, God, I gotta go get the shovels. You know, oh man, where's the, where's the long scraper? 
you know, like, oh man, I got to remember to do this. And it's just all these like little tasks and stuff. It's like, there, is there anything, is there anything in the world that is diff- more different when you were old versus when you were a kid than snow? I say no. I say Halloween. no. Well, uh, there you go. Yeah, that'd be up there. Yeah. Halloween cartoons. You, UVA basketball. <laughs> yeah, it's very different when I'm an adult versus when I was a kid. Um, that was a nice segue, Ferber. Thank you very much for setting me up there. Yeah, I just threw the lob up to you. Yeah, you did. Um, so, all right, let's 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 get the 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 hard part out of the way. Eighty-one to sixty. It was not it was not a good night uh, in in the uh, in the Tucker uh, Center. It was it was rough. Uh, Virginia. I mean, honestly, in the big scheme of things, if you looked at just Virginia's stats, you would think like, oh, it wasn't they didn't score a whole lot of points. But you know what? Their defense probably pulled them through until you went to the other side. You know, oh, Florida State scores 81 shot 50 percent from the floor, 54.2 from deep, 13 to 24. They controlled the glass 31 to 25. Forced Virginia to have, well, Virginia, I don't want to say they forced Virginia to turn the ball over 13 times. The Cavaliers committed a bunch of those on their own. But 13 turnovers for 21 points off of them. Florida State had 20, or excuse me, 11 second chance points. They had 37 points off their bench. Um, I mean, points in the paint was even 2020. That's there's really nothing for UVA to hang its hat on here, other than the Cavaliers had more dudes scoring double figures. Woo! Um, it was it was not close for a, most of the game. Um, Virginia had a nice little run from like the what was it? Uh, McCoy hits a three, I think, uh, toward the end of the first half. Virginia comes out and has a nice little spurt, but that only cut it to seven with fourteen twenty-two to go. And then Florida State went up like on a twenty-nine to three run or some nonsense like that. And I mean that was the knockout punch. Um, I guess let's let's start the conversation here. I, I think all of us expected this to be a game. I, I did not expect Florida State to just blow them out. And I want to know from you guys whether now that you've had a couple days to sort of process it and such, do you feel like what you saw Monday night was more about Florida State just being really good and maybe playing more to their potential, more to, you know, what they can be? Or was it more Virginia playing essentially the game we've seen them play all season um, where, you know, when they play against good teams – um, you know, they struggle when they play against the mediocre teams, they sort of rack up. Dave, let's start with you. Do you feel like this was more of a, the result and, and sort of the way this thing went down? Is this more about Florida State? Is it more about Virginia to you? I mean, it's a little bit of both. Um, but first off, like how bizarre is it to do a podcast where Virginia like absolutely curb stomps North Carolina and we're talking about losing at Florida State? Um, like, I mean, that says more means, about North Carolina. <laughs> yeah, it's just crazy. Um, Speaking of things that are different when you're an adult versus a kid. Um, but yeah, it's a uh, look, Florida State's good. We, we, I think we all knew that. Um, I mean, last week's podcast, I said, you know, I wasn't worried about Carolina. I was definitely worried about Florida State because they're, you know, it's just, it's a matchup thing. It's what they, what the pack line's designed to do is, you know, <laughs> kind of make you shoot outside, make you make one on one moves and beat your guy and help. Um, assuming, you know, someone on the team's a weak link, but Florida State pretty much has four of the same dudes around a big dude who's kind of good um, or a little dude who's kind of good, depending on the year. So they've always been a matchup issue. Um, this Virgin- this you know, this version of Virginia is a little more offensively oriented than 
than defensive, which is definitely different. Um, you know, even even the better offensive teams, Virginia had the championship team, the 2018 team, they were still very, very good on defense. This one just isn't quite there. You know, combination of, you know, the roster makeup, um, some injuries that obviously sideline Shedrick, who I think is a good defensive piece, even Statman to some extent, like another wing defender who's been in the system a couple of years, isn't really able to help much yet. Um, and, you know, and new pieces. So I think this game was more like what you see out of, I don't want to say it. Maybe you guys understand what I'm trying to say, but like, you know, every year there's teams that are good in their conference and are kind of more offensive oriented and they go on the road and they have a kind of a clunker of a game where they run up against a buzzsaw and they can't stop it because their defense isn't elite. So they end up getting blown out. So when you think about the years, what, two or three years Virginia went without losing a game by 10 points, it wasn't because they were offensively great. It's because their defense was elite. Um, this defense isn't, isn't so blowouts don't surprise me. Like, you know, I, I hated watching it. It was painful to watch, but you know, especially, you know, in a game in a year where we haven't had much atmosphere, like, you know, Florida state was whooping it up The What crowd was there was getting into it. And clearly that was a team motivated to kind of punch UVA in the mouth. And let's not forget the external motivation of, you know, Florida state thought last year was their championship year and they got to get, got it taken away from them. So I think they just ran into a buzzsaw. Um, if I want to take a positive out of that game, honestly, it's how the team responded down 23, having gotten punched in the mouth for almost 18 minutes um, prior to that, and then cutting it to you know to seven. And honestly, if Florida State misses a couple crazy threes they took there right after Virginia cut it down, it might have stayed a game for a while, but they didn't. So kudos to them. They've got a great roster, and you know, Leonard Hamilton has a very good scheme with a lot of athletes that put pressure on a defense like Virginia, especially when it's not elite. Ferber, you you did some research and, and kind of put some stuff on Twitter uh, the other day, um, sort of breaking down how Virginia's defense, and well, I guess technically it's both of them, the offense and the defense, essentially how the Cavaliers have not responded uh, in their losses to runs the way that, I mean, essentially that the runs are the difference, right? That they give up these runs in these in these games against, you know, ranked competition, and I guess you can throw San Francisco in there for, for funsies, but essentially they, they do things against those good teams that they don't do against other teams, or at least in those respects, they're able to counter them. As you have sort of digested this, would you say that Monday night was more about Virginia, more about Florida State? Um. I think it, in the context of, of the conversation that we're going to have, I think it's more about Virginia because of the the trend of the three ACC losses that they have. So, you know, none of those games – obviously the Virginia Tech game was close for a while, and UVA led for a while, but they got the doors blown off in the last 10 minutes of the game. Um, you know, it wasn't very competitive. I'll pull it up actually while we're talking. Um yeah, so Ken Palm breaks it down by quarter. Um, and the fourth quarter of that game was 27-9, to nine, Virginia Tech. So um, sort of similar to what we saw on Monday night. That That is the thing that's sort of the outlier for me, comparing them to other UVA teams, is that this didn't happen to other UVA teams. Like, they would every once in a while they'd, they'd have a clunker, but except for that 2017 season where their offense was ranked 50th in Ken Palm, which is an outlier in itself. Um, except for last year where they were bad on offense. But, like, um, they, you know, the games they lose, 
usually are a possession here, a possession there. You think about, you know, when they lost the, those two games to Duke the year they won the title, and both of those games were close. Um, you know, when they lost to Virginia Tech at home the year before that, I think that was their only ACC loss. That game was a one-point game, I think, in overtime. So, I mean, like, this is different, you know, where it seems like they're outclassed in a lot of these games. Um, and I think it's, it's something worth sort of, you know, when you look at what this team has done, um, put the whole thing into perspective, look at their wins. All right, so what's their best win? Clemson, would you guys agree with that? Like, yeah. I mean, considering, I mean, the opponent and the nature of how they did it. Right? Yeah, Clemson right? or Georgia they, Tech. Yeah, Clemson, they just destroyed, you know, on the road. So I think that's their best win because that's the probably one of the best teams they've beaten and they dismantled them. Um, I mean, that win is okay. Like, that's not a, a, a win you would hang your hat on. And I don't want to make it seem like it's, you know, UVA's fault because I think if they had played their non-conference schedule, they probably would have had, you know, they might have a better win in there somewhere. Clemson is 44 in Ken Palm. So that's their best Ken Palm win. Um, like, other than that, I mean, yeah, they've looked good in some games. You know, they've, they've won some games by decent margins. You think that, you know, the Syracuse game, um, you know, they, they handled a few other games. Notre Dame, you know, they handled them twice. But Notre Dame is, you know, they have a losing record. Um, every team they've played that is like a locked tournament team, it, you know, they've lost. And the games haven't been that close. So, you know, it, it kind of speaks to where UVA fits in the pecking order. They're going to have a pretty good seed if they continue the way they've played because their record is going to be good. But their record is mostly good because they've taken care of business. Um, and, and, you know, they haven't played a ton of good teams. And, and the ones they have played, they've lost. Um, Florida State is one of those teams. And I think that you you mentioned it was more about them or, or UVA. I do think that Florida State played really well. I mean, it, it's hard to watch that game and think like, oh, this is how they're going to play every game because they don't. You know, I watched a lot of that game against Wake Forest and they were really lucky to win it. Um, and that was at home. So, I mean, you know, I, I think that they, they were really assertive with the ball. They made the right passes. UVA was just a step slow to everything, but that's how they looked against Gonzaga and that's how they looked against Virginia Tech. Um you know, and so I think that there is a trend there. I mean, it's it's something that's out of the ordinary for UVA teams, but um, it certainly sort of puts into perspective where UVA is. I mean, you look at their offense and defense on Ken Palm, 15th on offense, 21st in Ken Palm, like, or on defense. Um, you know, that's not where they normally are in, in either of those. So, I mean, like, they are just – I think they're just a, a notch below where a lot of people thought they were probably before they played on Monday night. Yeah. Yeah. And to offer one counterpoint to that, like, I mean, I, I think you're right, but you know, the thing that Virginia does well, and we, we probably, if we wanted to, we've been, we're going to be, and we have been pretty harsh on them. Um, you know, Florida state, Virginia tech, um, they've lost games to teams that aren't very good. Right. Exactly. So Virginia is, yep. you know, has, has done, done well holding court. So, you know, what, what's Florida state's one and two on the road in conference and they've got three road conference games coming up. Um, Virginia's two losses were to Virginia tech and Florida state and then Gonzaga. And then obviously they also lost to San Francisco, which is by far the worst loss of the year, but neutral court. So it's like, you know, as much as you can criticize them for how they've shown up in the big game they've played this year, they've been able to keep, you know, to not suffer so far. Um, because if Florida State hadn't lost those games, they'd be in first place, and so would Tech. 
Yeah, exactly. And I'm glad you mentioned, I just forgot to mention that. Like they, I, I said it on Twitter yesterday, but like they basically like made all of their par fours pars. Like they, you know, they've taken care of business against teams like Pitt and Georgia tech. And, it, and those games weren't always like lopsided, but they won them, you know, and, and most of them didn't come down to the buzzer, a buzzer beater like last year. Um, you know, they were the better team and they won the game. And, and that's more than almost every team can say, including Florida state, you know, who lost to Georgia tech in pretty convincing fashion and, you know, and then lost to Clemson. And then there's other teams, you know, that have done the same, like Virginia tech lost to Pitt, uh, almost lost to Miami. Um, I think they have another dumb loss in there somewhere. Um, they got blown out by Penn state. Like, you know, every team has games like that. UVA just hasn't, taken advantage of the opportunities they've had and that's why it's so hard people get on like the committee about how you know they don't like the seating or whatever the net like it's hard how do you compare a team like uva to a team like florida state who you know florida state is probably a bad example but a team let's say a team that has like five or six losses or maybe seven losses but they have good wins compared to a team like uva that's 15 and four and they've taken care of business but they haven't beaten anybody that's going to be a contender so it's like you know how do you compare those two things as sort of apples and oranges I think the thing that you do, though, is you, 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 you take out the contender part, right? That on some level, you're be- you, what you're trying to do in, in, in terms of seeding, in terms of like looking at the landscape, you're not necessarily saying, oh, this, te- it's, it, this team did this and this team did that. It's more about, I think at least, looking at the, the totality um, and, and trying to figure out um, not necessarily, okay, this team can be – um, can can go to this level because they've beaten these people. Um, you're you're really just trying to do your best to sort of give them some place to start, right? I think a lot of times, those of us on the out, we get really caught up in seeding and and stuff. Um, it's worse in football with the with the playoff and everything, but in in basketball, it, you know, we get really caught up in the whole seeding aspect. But really, there's there's there there are two teams at the top, right? I think everybody understands watching college basketball this year. There are two teams at the top. Then maybe you might have a group of like two or three that might be like nipping at their heels on a good day. But even so, you're still going to have four one seeds. You're still going to have four twos. I don't know necessarily if it matters that UVA has or hasn't beaten, um, you know, a contender as much as it matters, you know, consistency. I think your your point about sort of the way that they've taken care of business, that that is who this team is. And there is something to be said for that. Is it exciting? Probably not. Does it move the needle, so to speak, in terms of giving us some sort of, um, you know, confidence that they're going to make the Final Four? No, it doesn't. Um, you know, it's a second weekend team, and you know what? The right matchup, the right guys get hot. Um, you know that, but that's just the nature. That's the nature of the postseason for basketball. It's not, you know, every year they're going to be a handful of team, a couple teams, whatever that you, you know. All right, that's a great team, and. Then you're just basically looking, you know, it's like trying to figure your way through a desert. You're just looking off to the horizon, looking for the, you know, the thing that comes up, whether it's an injury and and this time, you know, whether it's a kid who has a contact tracing issue, whatever, you know, that's what Gonzaga and Baylor are going to have to worry about um, these next few few weeks going into into next month. As far as Virginia, though, I, I look at it like I wrote my column today. They're very good at being who they are. They're not good at being able to, to be better than that. And that's not to say that they can't do that. That's not to say that in the in the weeks, you know, they have four games at least as it's scheduled right now. The problem, of course, is that they're not going to get a real, you know, a matchup against a team um, 
that's going to give any of us on the outside any kind of confidence about you know them playing against a good team. You know, they were to come up against Florida State, for example, in the ACC tournament. Um, they're very good at handling their business. They're just not very good at being able to to be great. And that, you know, for a lot of teams, that's just that's just every year, right? When you've won a national championship and you do have as much talent as this team has, which I want to get into a little bit of sort of why the pieces don't fit right. But Florida State really made it extremely obvious why Virginia's deficiencies on both ends of the floor were as problematic as they are in part because they combine together, right? They stack, right? It's not just that Virginia is a jump shooting team, but they also don't have a guy who can create their own offense. And they're probably their emotional leader is most of the time, the smallest guy on the floor. Physically, he's not going to be able to dominate a game. He can't take over a game, right? Um, I thought Florida State was doing a really nice job of sort of letting Kihei Clark penetrate and then sort of surround him. Um, I've not heard if, from Leonard or anybody else if if that was a specific um, a specific you know strategy or not, but it certainly played out that way. Um, and then defensively, they don't have a big who can kind of cover a lot of space. The I think the shot blocking, as I wrote, I think it's it's covered up a lot of ills on that side of the ball. That like Ferber said, they're 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 a top twenty five defense, but they're not a top ten defense, and. If they just kept feeding on the NC States and Pittsburghs and Georgia Techs and Carolinas, which is a weird sentence to say, then yeah, they would have probably been there. But that's just not the the way it works. Um, I, I want to have our discussion a little bit about the pieces. Um, Florida State has a lot of length, a lot of athleticism. They can switch one through five. Um, they are, as Ferber wrote in the preview, like the worst matchup. If Carolina was the perfect matchup, Florida State was the worst one. In hindsight, even knowing what we know now, seeing what Florida State did, is there a tweak that Virginia could have made, Ferber, in order, uh, I mean, aside from, you know, all the shots go in, but from a strategic standpoint, is there anything Virginia could have done to play that game differently, in your opinion? Um, I, I think I was a little surprised they didn't go more five out at the beginning of the game because I just feel like, and I, I'm not somebody that's broken down a bunch of tape or anything, but like, you look at that Florida state team, you're not going to beat them from a size standpoint and athleticism. Like you're not going to be like working the ball inside against them just seems like a, it fatal to me. Like, uh, you know, especially um, in the way that they normally try to do it. And I would have tried, you know, maybe to pull uh copper Vita away from the basket. And when he was playing, obviously he sat out a little bit at the beginning um, and, and just try to spread them out and then hope you make a bunch of shots. Um, Cause that's the way to beat Florida state. You know, like they're not a terrible defense or anything, obviously, but they—they're not a stingy three-point defense. Like, they're not somebody that one of these teams that like doesn't allow. Like UVA is allowing opponents to shoot thirty-three point five percent from three, which is good for a defense. Florida State's allowing you know three percent higher than that, I think, or two. Um, you know, so I mean. It's that's where you beat them. You're not going to beat them around the rim. Their their defense is good inside, or they're just they're not gonna they're not gonna allow you to do a lot around the rim. Um, and you know UVA just felt like too early on. I mean they didn't make enough shots, and then they just um, the stuff they did on the inside it just wasn't working. Um, and then eventually they figured it out, like you know to start the second half. And that's why I think you know I, I do give them credit for coming back, but I think that was a bigger you know it was a byproduct of 
UVA made the adjustment at halftime. They realized Kihei could get in the lane to the basket, um, and and they sort of wouldn't close on him. Um, and then Florida State just adjusted back. And then on offense, Florida State was being a little timid in the, the beginning of the second half, and they went back to being assertive, and then the game was over. Um, you know, like Florida State's really good at home. They, they were super motivated in this game. I, I don't know if it was necessarily UVA lost because of anything – you know, on the X's, you know, on the whiteboard necessarily, but, um, you know, it, certainly the the game didn't unfold early on the way that they probably hoped. Dave, I feel like what mm-hmm. Ferber says there about, you know, more five out of the beginning, I, I do think that that would have helped. I, I, I don't know at this point with the, with the lineup, the way that they've essentially elected to go with, if you're going to allow teams to sag off of, uh, of Clark and Beekman, I, I don't get, running much sides I don't know if you're going to really create much space there um, all you're really doing then is just muddying things even worse it seems like to me Virginia's non three-point offense aside from you know lobs uh, is kind of completely out to lunch right now would you have do you think in hindsight Virginia should have done anything differently or is that just sort of the way that thing was going to go because of the matchups as they were I mean I think I texted you guys what at least by the second TV timeout, I wanted to see some five out just because clearly the you know, clearly the block remover wasn't working. Um, but you know when you, and it worked for a while. But you know the issue with five out for Virginia, I think you know we saw a lot of success with that early in the season. Um, obviously the first game and then a few games after that. But I think once the tape was out there that the only guy who can really dribble past you is Kihei then the five out became much less effective, right? Um, you know, unless you've unless Virginia really spaces him out and puts Jay out there on the on the five out and there and he's being guarded by a you know a big five with no mobility, literally Kihei's the only guy who you have to worry about dribbling by you. Otherwise it's just five guys standing to shoot. So it's only effective and you know it's not as effective as it could be without a secondary piece, you know, a second or third guy who can fake the shot and take you to the rack. Um, that guy doesn't exist on this team. Not, you know, not one who's confident in doing it anyway. Um, but yeah, overall, like, you know, the game felt like a molly whopping, right? But the, uh, I mean, it was the first time Florida State had broken 70 on Virginia in 19 games. So Virginia scored 60. So to me, it points to a defensive issue more than an offensive. You know, Virginia makes a couple more shots. Most years that game is really tight. This year just wasn't. And, you know, we, we keep saying like, you know, and I, I keep saying like Florida State's always had the pieces to make it tough on Virginia. But I think the difference is this year they've got some guys who are, I don't want to call them elite, but like Scotty Barnes and, you know, MJ Walker, they, those boys can shoot. So, and they're athletic, which is not what Florida State's always had. So it's even when Virginia was able to play good defense and force them to take deep shots, they hit them. Um, that's a good combination. But um, I was checking while you guys were talking. So Virginia, Virginia Tech and Florida State, the top three teams in the league, have seven total losses on the season. Only one was by less than double digits, um, which is kind of bizarre. Yeah. Yeah. One thing I would like to add to what David just you just said, like I was looking at the box score actually while you're talking, I was like, actually the biggest problem was their defense. But you know, Florida State was 13 of 24 from three. Like it's going to be hard to beat them. It's going to be hard for anybody to beat them when they do that. Um, and normally, you yeah. know, if UVA was like playing really good defense and, um, 
you know, like they were just making shots, you know, with arms and faces, you know, like that, that's fine. And there were certainly some of those. Um, but I really thought Florida State did a great job of early in this possession, just moving the ball really quickly. And UVA always felt like they were like a little bit of a, like a step slow to a lot of stuff. Um, they just didn't really, it didn't feel like they were set in the pack line. And so you saw like MJ Walker was five of six from three. And I yeah. feel like if you went back and look at those, a bunch of those were like open rhythm. Wide shots. open. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, that can't happen. You know, he's their best shooter, their best scorer. Like, and that was sort of emblematic of how it went for a lot of guys. You know, he was the only one that really killed them. Um, Calhoun was two for three off the bench, but I mean, you know, like the, it consistently, they were just making those shots and um, I feel like too many of them were good looks. Yeah. yeah, And I think one thing Virginia does defensively did in this game that I, if, you know, if there wasn't an offensive tweak, I would have, we, we tried to double the post way too much against Florida state. Like, you know, I think there's at least five or six plays where like there's, there's not two bigs on this team who can double the post and then get back and defend, defend the three. So against most teams, that's not a problem. Like, you know, in North Carolina, when you doubled the post, they kicked it out to a guy who couldn't shoot. So you had an <laughs> extra beat. Right. So it was just, yeah, it, it it is what it is. Well, yeah, the one the, I mean the 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 Shedrick one was the one that really was Yeah, he 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 yeah, that was That yeah, was I think he just messed up on Yeah, that he one. did. He he definitely did. I felt bad for him. But here's the thing is it like for a lot of Virginia teams, the doubling the post piece makes sense because historically maybe Virginia doesn't have as much like top end length, right? So like you're talking about maybe they have a big, you know, one big who's, you know, they've, they've had Mike Toby and obviously, you know, Huff, but realistically you think about like when Momady was the big, right? Like that's a, that's a little bit different maybe than, than, than coming up, coming, you know, turning and, and having Jay Huff stand in front of you. But I think the bigger point that as I'm listening to you guys sort of talk through it is it's not just that you were, that you're trying to trap the post and they don't have a real true big. It's the scramble. It's the scramble that happens elsewhere as the ball is moved around. And I thought Florida state yeah. to its credit did a great job, not just of, not just of getting the ball out quick. If any, if any post trap came, but getting the ball out quick, whenever it was going to stop, I thought that was one thing that Florida state did a really nice job of in this game was essentially the ball just never stuck anywhere. And that always puts UVA at a disadvantage when teams do that and do that at a high level, because the, the guys who are trying to help out as the scramble, as the you know rotations come and the, and the scrambles happening, Man, you're gonna you're gonna get to somebody who's open, and I thought they were aggressive. Um, if there's anything that I really took from this game, you know, and I, I mentioned this in the column too. You know, Tony talked at, in in Atlanta about you know throw caution to the wind, be aggressive, be assertive, and I thought this was another one of those games where Virginia just was not that. That's not to say that you know going quickly or whatever, um, being assertive was going to make up for a 21 point deficit, but. It certainly would have given UVA more opportunities to make some plays that I think sometimes they pass their way out of. We've talked a lot in the past on the show and in various pieces on the site about you know either waiting for other guys to make plays or just sort of always passing the ball to try to get a better shot as opposed to realizing that, you know what, if you shoot so-and-so percent from three, you need to take every one of those you get. No, no pump fake sidestep to get yourself into a worse shot no no passing around so that somebody who shouldn't be shooting is left with the ball with three seconds left on the shot clock um you know there's a lot of that you know tony talks a lot about his guards and feel 
I wish Virginia had a better feel for what's a good shot sometimes because Sam Hauser with any daylight's a good shot. Jay Huff with any daylight is a good shot. Um, there's too many times I think where guys are just not aggressive, and that definitely showed in this game. They were the timid team, and they were the ones, you know, sort of on their heels. Which brings me to the other thing I wanted to talk about on the show, which I texted you guys about the other day. I think one of the issues that Virginia has is that a lot of the pieces either duplicate, right? You've got guys who are primarily shooters, but not necessarily, you know, good at you know sliding their feet and you know getting staying in front of guys. But at the same time, there are glaring omissions in terms of skill sets on this roster that make it so that when all the pieces fit together, they don't they don't cover enough ground, right? Think about pieces of a puzzle. There's too many pieces stacked on top of each other, and they don't make a you know a real picture. Um, you know, Dave get, laid uh, on many years ago at this point laid the whole you know series of sentences and not a paragraph thing when we came to you know offensive playing calling in football. In some ways, that's what Virginia's basketball roster feels like to me. It's a bunch of sentences, but they don't make a story because they're all saying sort of the same thing. And one of the things I thought of was like, okay, what would fix it? You know, if Virginia could bring, and we're gonna we're gonna name some names and talk about some skill sets here to sort of make things a little bit better. We're gonna have an anti-Ralph policy because you have to because you know put Ralph Sampson on any team and he's better, but. I'm I, I'm not necessarily saying stars. I'm really talking about like sort of role guys, right? Um, I mentioned this. Um, God, I don't know what radio station I was on, but and I've definitely told uh, Dave and Ferber this. But if Virginia could like draft Justin Mutz from Virginia Tech, how good is Virginia all of a sudden? Now, I'm not saying that that would fix everything, but imagine Virginia this Virginia roster with Mama Diakite. That's essentially what I'm trying to get at. What's the what's the missing link? And is it just a guy who, you know, can cover space on defense? Is it a guy who can drive to the lane? Um, where, what do we feel like the Cavaliers need that they're not getting? And the, the idea here is that once you kind of figure that out, you look at the roster, you say, okay, how can you better do that? I'll go first. Me personally, and Dave and I went back and forth on whether Malcolm Brogdon should be a part of this discussion. I'm not going to put Malcolm Brogdon in the discussion because I feel like he's sort of in that Ralph territory. He and Brian Stith and Ralph. Like, you put those three dudes on any team, and they're going to be very good. Um, but I think an Akeel Mitchell type, um, probably even more so than just having a guy who can drive to the basket, would change this roster considerably. Now, if you look at the bigs they've got, they've got Jay Huff, who is a shop locker uh, length. He's, he's a pretty athletic guy for his size, but he's not somebody who is going to patrol both sides of the – court who can defend multiple positions right like you you could throw a keel on anybody just about and he and he could probably do the job he was like the the forward slash center version of Malcolm right um but also just in terms of being able to to move uh, um, that then you could hedge and you, you know there's a lot more that comes with that so I think maybe even more so than just being able to to drive to the rim um, which, frankly, in the Tony era, they have not had a lot of guys who could just – that was just their flat-out skill, right? But if you gave this team an Akeel type, a bouncy big who could move, I, I think the defense becomes markedly better. That would then, I think, allow your rotations on offense to be a little less um, predicated on, um, you know, nothing but jump shooting and putting them all out there once. And then also, too, it would help you on the boards, Right. I mean, that's one thing that this team actually does a pretty decent job of. Hauser's a pretty decent rebounder. The guards rebound well. But 
uh, having an Akil type, I think, would make a big difference. Uh, let's see. Dave, we'll go to you. As you've thought about this, what what do you feel like you could add to this roster to help what ails it? I mean, I went back and forth on it. Like, I mean, I think a kill makes sense. Um, but, I, I mean, I think the downside of adding a kill is can you really play a kill, Trey Murphy, Hauser, and Huff on this floor at the same time? Um, and I don't think you could because – yeah. <laughs> well, but that's actually that's that that's actually kind of where I'm going with it because I don't think you you should. I think one yeah. of Virginia's problems right now is that the starting lineup is predicated on oh we got to have all the shooters out there because that's the only offense we're going to get, and we need all the offense we can get because our defense is not going to be able to answer the bell time and time and time again. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. You know. No. I get what you're saying. I'm just. Like, so I came at it from a different angle and went through a lot of roster. Obviously, Brogdon's off the board. Um, but I think, like, I mean, I was torn. I, I came down to two. I'm not going to say which two I came down to in case one of the two is one Ferber has because we, we don't discuss this pre-podcast. I'm going to I'm gonna go with Justin Anderson. Um, I, I just think this team needs another guy with some, some – I, I not even another, but they just need a vocal guy. And Justin Anderson, obviously he had that, but he also could play the two and the three. His handle wasn't elite, but it was good enough. And he's a guy who can embarrass you, which I think always ha- helps at offense. Um, so with Justin, I think you could you could put Beekman on the bench, start Kihei, Justin, Trey, Sam, and, and Jay. And then you've got a little more flexibility, first guy off the bench. So if, you know, if Murphy or Hauser is struggling or even Health is struggling, I think you can – you can move, you know. You can move Anderson to the three, play Beekman, Clark, and Justin with either Murphy and Huff or Hauser and Huff, and I think you still got a good defensive team that's better offensively than what we can put on the floor right now. Um, so you know, just because I figured you pick a kill, that's where I went. But you know, I I think Justin would be interesting, like just a guy like that. You know, a, a you know a Brogdon, a Justin Anderson, but. A, a two guard who's also able to to move to the wing because I, I mean I feel like Murphy and Hauser are sort of interchangeable. Um, and and if there's you know think about going five out with Justin Anderson, especially you know later in his career, Justin Anderson who was a better three point shooter, I think that opens things up a lot for this offense. All right, Ferber. So I'm thinking about if you have an Akil Mitchell bouncy big type, your five looks like. Clark, I would. I mean, you could play. You probably could play um, Murphy in a sort of two-man role, almost. Even though he doesn't have a great handle, he's not. He's not DeAndre Hunter, at least not right now. Right? He needs more time physically. Right now, he's a tall. He's a tall guard. He's not a forward. He doesn't have that sort of combo to him. And so, if you have to choose between him and he and, he and Hauser, and so you can play Akeel and, and Huff together. Okay, fine. Um, I probably, honestly, would have Casey Morsell. Um, but then you start thinking about the offense, and you start, all right. So maybe it's Wold to Tensai. Dave wants, obviously, have a Justin Anderson type, um, who, frankly, energy for this team, I mean, that in of itself could be huge. When you started thinking about this thing, what guy did you pick and what, what, what sort of went through your mind? 
Yeah, I mean, I think you guys both brought up good people, good points, people that I certainly, you know, when we talked about this earlier, you know, that I think they would be perfect fits for solving some of the problems. I'm actually going to try to solve a couple things with Devin Hall. Um, he Defensive stopper, which UVA does not have. Um, who's UVA's best defender in their starting lineup? I would say Clark, but... Yeah, and he's a spe- he's a five eight yeah. specialist. That's right, and so is and Jay Huff is too. Yeah, he is. You're right. Jay Huff isn't going to come out and guard guards. And Kihei, the fact that Kihei held Scotty Barnes in check as much as he did is a testament to tenacity. It's it's um, it's actually ridiculous if you think about yeah, it. Yeah, because I was like when they when they brought him out there to guard him, I was like, this is a disaster. Like you know, like this is going to be bad. Because um, I figured they had to put Murphy on him and then try to like. And that's the thing with Kihei, his size, like, he's a great on-ball defender, but sometimes it's like if the team is big, you almost have to, like, try to hide him. Um, And that is actually, it kind of brings me exactly to Devin Hall. So um, I I really like the idea of adding in Nikhil Mitchell because I think that's a player that UVA doesn't have on the roster. You know, a a stretchy four, defense first kind of guy, good rebounder. Um, You know, obviously he's not Jay Huff. He's not going to step out and shoot. But Devin... Um, by the end of his career, obviously a very good scorer. Um, he's not a guy that you could leave alone. Um, you know, and then obviously a great defender as well. And that, and he, he might be a little small to guard some wings, but it's, what was he? Six, four. Um, but certainly not like unable to do it. You know, we saw him do it plenty. Um, I think on offense, he would force teams to have to play UVA differently. Um, when, when UVA is the ball, because, Right now, UVA is doing this thing. I, I almost call it like the diet version of Ty Jerome, Kihei Clark, where it's like, let's put Kihei out there with another guy that can handle the ball and Reese Beekman. And I think this isn't a slight on Reese at all. I think it's actually a testament to their trust in him as a freshman that he plays um, so much. But, I, I mean, let's, let's just call a spade a spade. When UVA has the ball, they're daring Kihei Clark to shoot, and about half the time he makes them pay. Um, and, and that's good enough. And then Reese Beekman doesn't make them pay because he doesn't shoot and he really doesn't score. So like if you have Devin Hall out there, teams can't sag off of the two to worry about Hauser and Murphy. And that would just open things up for everybody else. That was really one of the strengths of UVA's title team and the team the year before that, that lost to UMBC was that like, who are you going to, you have to pick your poison. Like, who are you going to leave alone? Like, you're going to leave Ty Jerome alone at the three-point line, he'll kill you. You're going to leave Kyle Guy alone, he'll kill you. You're going to leave DeAndre Hunter alone, like you have big problems. So I think that's sort of where UVA's problems are on offense when they do have problems is that they're so and, – and this is really sort of my two-sentence descriptor of this team going forward. They're a team that has a point guard that is a good distributor but is small and, and sort of – comes and goes on offense and you have some wings that are basically uh carrying the load on offense along with Jay Huff and so much of what they're going to do is three point dependent like you know that that's just who this team is they are going to go in the tournament as far as the three point shot takes them like that's just who they are we can't add another player to this team so um you know Devin would be great because he can get to the yeah. rim but right now I mean I don't see anything changing with this team as far as how they play because yeah. and and you can ride the three point line to a national championship you really can teams have done it um 
but I think that they're, they are sort of a one dimensional team. And if they can play good enough defense and make enough threes, they can beat almost anybody. Um, but if they're a little off in either area or both, they're going to lose. So, I mean, that's just, that's just who they are. Um, and that's better than most teams, but it's not as good as some other UVA teams. So for the record, Devin Hall was was the one I was debating. I figured he was the most obvious choice. So since I got to go second, I gave it to you, Ferber. Um, but the, uh, yeah, like trying to get trying to get back on this year's team because obviously, like Justin said, we can't add these guys. But obviously, I think we've all pointed to deficiencies they have. Um, I thought of someone Brad was talking about DeAndre Hunter. Like Murphy could. I mean, I feel like maybe we're giving Murphy a little bit of slight by saying he's not an elite wing defender. Let's not forget, like, Murphy should be redshirting right now, but he's not because of this, the way the season goes. We never got to see freshman DeAndre Hunter. We might, this might be what he looked like as a freshman without a year in the system. Um, So I, I don't know what the ceiling is for Murphy. He's certainly got the physical tools to be a dominant defender. I just think we're kind of seeing what, the uva team saw when deandre wasn't playing yeah. his freshman year and um, and 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 to be, so and to be fair too it, it's not just that we're we're seeing you know sort of where he was you know at the same sort of i mean technically speaking trey has played a year of college basketball yeah yeah of you course know, but he came but, to uva to redshirt right exactly so so it's one of those things where it's like we you're exactly right we don't know what what dre would have looked like though we know that the coaches you know recommended or however you want to phrase it redshirting for a reason um i i want to be real clear i think trey murphy's a pro like hands down i think he's going to be a pro in terms of this team and sort of you know the exercise we just did is sort of highlighting the issues that they have you know my my thing is like okay i think they they could really use a bouncy big well that bouncy big is not coming right you guys are talking about things that um Maybe not necessarily. Aren't, it's not just that they aren't coming, but you at least there are some options. So, for example, if UVA were to start Woldetensai instead of Beekman, and let Beekman be the primary backup point guard um, to get Casey Moore sell more minutes, and also to try to, um, you know, to get Shedrick and, and Cody Statman somewhat involved. I think my biggest issue is that Trey Murphy, like I said before, he's a tall guard right now. Physically, he's not to a place where he can he can defend, you know, the two through the four, right? Um, I would love it if if he was at a place where, you know, where Dre was that year and you could sort of clear things out and he could just kind of go to the rim. Um, I, I think ultimately what you guys have really sort of highlighted here, the issues that Virginia has – it's not just that there isn't anybody on the roster to fill that. It's that the other pieces aren't necessarily, you can't like, you can't like fudge it to get those pieces in the middle to cover that hole. Does that make, does that make sense? Like there's not, there's not a way to make some of these skill sets vary enough. You know, for example, if you think of Huff and Hauser together offensively there, it's a beautiful thing to watch defensively. It's a problem, right? Like you can't, you know, Hauser's is is in a lot of ways sort of a four man stuck. You know, he's like a long, he's like a a stretch four stuck in a three man's body in a way, right? Um, but he doesn't have this kind of foot speed that you would need for that. Huff, for example, is a seven footer who has guard like skills, but he's not somebody who can sort of 
cover all parts of the court, regard, even though he is an athletic kid. And so in a lot of ways, it's not necessarily like I, – I don't want to make it seem like anything's broken. It's not. We're, what we're talking about is like optimum, like optimum um, output, right? And when you look at the way some of these things match up, if you had a Devin Hall type or you had a Justin Anderson type to play at the two, Casey Morsell is probably the closest thing you got. And I kind of feel like if Virginia's going to get there with him, you got to invest a lot of minutes – you know, I mean, has there been a guy who has had an experience like Casey has had since he's arrived in Charlottesville, right? Think of, has there been any freshman who came in with as lofty of sort of expectations only to really have it go wrong and then the next year not really have the chance to really start and get his opportunity? Like, think about through the years. Like, there hasn't been anybody who has, who has been asked to do and deal with a lot of the things that Casey's been asked to do and that's exactly sort of what happened to him in, for his AU team, too, right? Takeover was loaded, no pun intended, on the AU circuit, folks. Um, I mean, that that team takeover was just loaded. And Casey came off the bench, and he was an extremely important piece for that team, but they had a lot of dudes. Um, he gets to college, and sort of the same thing has sort of happened to him. I'm not entirely sure that they wouldn't be best served by – Maybe they start Wolde Tensai, but getting him some minutes, getting some, you know, as opposed to dudes playing so much. That five, I just don't think is as as constructed. Yes, they're going to plow through, you know, the mediocre to, to bad teams in the league, but to beat the best, I just don't see it happening. Ferb, what do you think? Do you, I feel like – Go ahead, Dave. Sorry, let's go ahead. Now, I was going to say, I feel like Casey does need more minutes. Um, I mean, Justin brought up Devin Hall. Um that's who, yeah. to me, like that's that's who he is, right? Like we, we talk about Devin Hall, and the most reason he was on Justin's list, my list, probably your list, Brad, is as the add-on. It wasn't because of his freshman and sophomore year. You know, it's what he became. Um, he also redshirted when people didn't think he would. Yeah, oh, that's true. Exactly. Yeah, and then yeah. and then you also had the other guys, BJ Stiff, who obviously that didn't work out. Um, yeah, sadly. Um, but yeah, I mean, I feel like Casey. Like I feel like right now Casey's getting so few minutes, he forces some shots he shouldn't take. And when he got in that groove there, he was getting consistent minutes, and he was kind of finding his shot within the offense. Yeah. All right, let's talk a little about recruit. We're fifty-ish minutes now, so let's let's talk a little about recruiting. Um, so the Cavaliers at this point have a commitment in twenty twenty-two uh, in, in Isaac McNeely. Uh, lots of opportunity, lots of space available in that class. We'll have to wait and see how 21 plays out both with, you know, Trevor Keels who just picked up an offer from, or an interest offer, whatever from Kentucky. Um, the final four now thought to be Kentucky, Virginia, Villanova, Duke. The last I heard is that Duke was fading, but in that recruitment, man, who knows 30 minutes after you hear something, if it's, if it's still this case or not. Um, but now that his we had him to this team, <laughs> he would kind of be perfect. Would he? <laughs> like, I mean, honestly, like, I don't mean to be mean, but if, if you, if you threw him in the mix, um, if you threw him in the mix, it would, it, it would be a hey, very man, different come animal. out, shoot, shoot a few threes. It'll be fine. <laughs> I mean, think about it like this. If you're Tony and staff, like, don't you have an excellent, like, Hey man, you've been watching us play. Like, you know, do you see what we need? We need to do just like you. Um, but anyway, so Keel's. Now his high school season is over. I would imagine that recruiting will start to become a little bit more of a focus for him. But it the the dead period is 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 not being lifted. I think that was one of those things that he was hopeful for. So we'll wait and see on twenty one and transfers and all that fun stuff. 
22, the, obviously McNeely's in the fold. Virginia just offered um, Nunez the four-star guard from Texas. Um, in There seems to be a lot of uh, interest about, obviously, Isaac Trout and um, Justin Taylor at, at Stab, uh, who is not going to have a season, I think. I just saw the other day. Um, and then there's Tyler Neckel down in the Valley. Um, certainly seems like he's playing his way into an offer if such a, a, a thing exists. If you if you had to have your druthers in 22 right now, Dave, let's start with you. If you had to have your druthers, would you rather have a commitment from Trout or an offer to Neckel? Clay Dave lives in the spotlight. Sh- like I know. Yeah, yeah. I, I chose you on purpose because I figured I figured the answer was really simple for you, and then we'd move on to further because you, you know you had to you know you you had to answer it one way. But I'm actually you know, now I'm actually curious. They're, I how think you they're a different player. I think they're I think Trout's more. Of oh, a, for sure. Like no, no. Sam Hauser type. Yeah, no, for like sure. A, yeah, no, no. I don't think they're a little bigger. But I think Nickel is kind of. I want to offer for Tyler Nickel. I do. I think, and yeah, you guys know in the text thread like beginning of the season i was teasing you like every time tyler nickel scores a point i get a text like why didn't you offer this kid yet um but like his game has changed so much in the last two or three years and yeah he's definitely he's top 100 national recruit he's got offers from a lot of good schools um i i I can't say for sure a virginia offer would land him but it certainly would be in the wheelhouse um you know I'd like to see Tyler Nickel get an offer for sure. I mean, putting him against Isaac Trout, that's a little tough. I, yeah, I'd like think Trout's a little different player. Um, but Virginia needs everybody they can get, so I'll take a commitment and an offer. <laughs> well, the reason I okay, let me the full disclosure. The reason I asked okay, the, dos. the reason I asked the question that way is because <laughs> we know Tony Bennett's a burden hand recruiter, right? Um, I'm just curious if Dave was a you know a burden hand fan when it came to recruiting. Um, I, I I think that the whole no, Isaac, I think Virginia is multiple pieces, dude. That's, no, that's true. Well, no, that's one thing about 22 is you're going to have plenty of space, right? That's not going to be an issue. Cause there, and also, let's be real, right? There's probably going to be a transfer, too. Like, I don't think you're going to keep the roster as is. And we don't need to go, I hate this, I hate this, I hate this. We're not going to guess about who's going to do what, okay? Let's just let dudes make their decisions and go from there. Um, or people hey, can are, we like, be people do the thing where they're like, he should leave for oh, his sh- own. Oh, but- God, I hate that. Yeah. Man, let these dudes make <laughs> their own decisions. But can we be clear, Virginia does, doesn't need dudes in 22. Virginia needs dudes in 21. Yeah, well, I, I, I think one of the things about 22 that has become very crystallized for me watching this year's team and extrapolating out for next year is that, like, they really need to go find themselves a bouncy big transfer who can play right away. Like, they really need that for next year's team. Because think about it. You take Jay Huff off this team. You take Sam Hauser off this team. Now, granted – um, well, now think about it. Has the NCAA come out and said that these dudes are going to have the opportunity to, to have an extra yeah, year? Really, they, really? they can come back. All right. They can come back. So if that's the case, to. I don't know. I mean, Jay Huff seems like he's headed to the pros. Maybe Sam Hauser, you know, kicks the tires on it. I don't know. But I think you just have to assume everybody is going to take it like a regular year and leave. Like, and then until yeah, because otherwise. I mean, to me, I have zero. Like, I don't think Huff will come back. He's a married guy. You know, he's been here for a Remember long last time. Year when everybody was like Braxton Key and Diakite could come back, like, you know, like <laughs> yeah, peace. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It does. Like, I mean, the casual fan can look at the roster, think about what that team looks like next year. Really enjoy yeah. twenty. <laughs> All right, for what do you think? Him. If 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 given your druthers, how would you sort of map out what happens in twenty two? Like, what 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 guys do you like the most? I mean, yeah, I like Trout a lot. 
um, when they offered him, I remember the, the offer came through and I can't remember if it was which one of you it was or exactly how it happened. But basically the first text after the offer came out was like, who the hell is this guy? <laughs> like, like, he's in Nebraska or whatever. It's like, what? Yeah. Um, that sounds like Brad, not me. No. Yeah. <laughs> no. Nobody but uh, but uh, anyway. Yeah. Well, you know, it's our job to know, right? Um, but, you know, I mean, I, I, I looked at, you know, what he's done. I mean, he had a crazy game. Like last week or the week before, he had like 50-something points. Um, and he's an intriguing skill set for UVA because I don't really feel like they've had a guy exactly like him um, come through recently just because, you know, a lot of these guys like Mike Toby and Jay Huff, they're all like – big fives you know and it's like they're you know the fact that they can shoot is a bonus but they're really recruited to be centers um you know it, while i watch matthew hurt drain threes like i would i would love to have a guy like that um but yeah i mean it's so hard one of the things like a qualifier for me is just like it's so hard to know because i know they have a lot of space but you know i don't know what the roster is going to look like and what the immediate needs are versus who you can add as a project um you know, that sort of thing, because it seems like there's probably, and you kind of said it like there, it seems like we're headed towards some sort of like roster upheaval on the bench, just because there's so many wings um, that has to sort of shake out. Plus somewhere. one more coming um, in, you know, with Tate right. Murray, you know? Yeah. And another one already in the bag. Yeah. For and that kid's going to play because he knows, I mean, listen, I, I don't want to overstate yeah, this. He plays the pack, but line. the fact that he plays the pack line and he's running a whole lot of their offensive sets. I mean, that kid's going to be super duper ready. I I said a minute ago about Casey Morcel that no, nobody had arrived. Like this kid's going to have that, you know, cause he's committed so early and because of that whole thing, like he, he's definitely going to have that. Yeah. So it's, it's hard to say what exactly they're going to need. I mean, they, they just put the point guard offer out well yesterday for uh, Nunez um, from Texas. So that'll be in, an interesting one to watch, um, you know, but yeah, I think that a, a, a big kind of like stretch four would be a nice addition, whoever it is. And um, what's, what's Tyler nickel at now? Like six, seven. Yeah. They, they say he's six, seven, about yeah. two twenty five, two thirty. Yeah. So he's um, like a big wing or maybe Sam, he can grow into Sam like a, four. a slightly more athletic Sam Hauser. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, um, yeah, I mean, it's a good play. Oh, so God, he could jump I wish out we could have had this conversation four months ago. So you guys could, could hear me. <laughs> Sorry, the podcast can know how much grief I get over Tyler nickel, but that, that kid is good. Um, UVA yeah, fans a, love the in-state in-state player because well, basketball recruiting so national. Yeah, I told you guys all fair before we started. Like yeah. my my fear with Tyler Nickel is he was a late bloomer, and you know the dead period runs to the end of May. Obviously, he's a junior, so you've got another year to get him. But you know he's got offers from what Cincinnati, Indiana, Virginia Tech, Clemson. Iowa. He's got a lot of offers. Yeah. Um, my fear is like you know he he's going to make a commitment before Virginia can make an offer, and he's going to Mac McClung us. Um, well, okay. Not that McClung would have fit great in the pack line, but McClung was a local guy who kind of played in a smaller school and yeah. got recruited by Georgetown and is now making hay at Texas Tech. So so two things. One is that even though the dead period is going to run, we ha- we don't know for sure yet whether the NCAA is going to allow kids, excuse me, allow coaches to go on the road to recruit for any sort of uh, evaluation period. Now, on the football side, the idea that like players aren't going to be able to come to schools for for spring practices or spring games, um, you know, really it's going to put it's going to put a lot of teams into a cramp when it comes to camp season. 
for basketball, it's it's a it's a big deal. Don't get me wrong that they can't take any sort of visits, but for basketball, that's not typically the time that those visits happen. What happens during that time is that we get that spring evaluation period, and the question right now is, will they allow coaches to go on the road and go to those venues to watch kids play? If those games happen, even if coaches can't go, those games will still get scouted. Those games will still, you know, there'll be some sort of, you know, streaming option or, you know, video packages and stuff. If those games happen, kids will get offers. And I would imagine that most players in the 22 class, unless you're like McNeely and you know exactly where you want to go, they're going to at least want to kick the tires on at least one of those evaluation periods. Um, Or if they don't have an actual evaluation period to see what happens with travel ball. I can't imagine that Nike and Adidas um, are going to sit this out given sort of where things are with the virus and given the fact that college basketball happened, even though we've seen obviously a whole lot, how the testing is handled and the, you know, the different protocols and all that fun stuff, who has I, no clue, but I just, at this point, I find it hard to believe there won't be some sort of travel ball. And if there is some sort of travel ball, or at least the opportunity for it. I can see a whole lot of kids sort of hitting the brakes on a commitment. Now that being said, you know Justin Taylor for you know a Charlottesville kid who has the offer, you know has now picked up a, an offer from Carolina. A long time ago, before you know things really got started in twenty two, the the rumbling I heard was that was that uh, Nickel and McNeely were likely a package deal. That's what I heard long long time ago. Um, I would not be surprised if if Nickel turns out to be one of these kids who waits to see what UVA does. Now, there have been a handful of them, and most of the time, oh, man, James Robinson. Um, um, who's the Williams kid from Richmond who went to Carolina whose first name is escaping me? Um, Kenny. Kenny. Kenny Williams. In a lot of these situations, when the uh, when the dude is waiting for the UVA offer and it comes, it doesn't move, right? It doesn't move the needle. Um, typically with those types of kids, if you don't offer early, it, it, it won't happen. I, th- I do think Nickel might be in a different situation than he or – did they ever offer Sims? I don't think they ever made a push for him. No. But no, they, um, they did – I mean, they, they did like Delarier from from early on. Um, Henry Coleman was one where the offer maybe took a little while longer than it should have. Um, yeah. You know, and, 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 you know, if you listen to certain folks around the state – you know that those the timing of those things does change things. Dave's right. Is that you know there's obviously the the risk that you that you have. Um, I think given where the roster is right now, man, offering. I mean Taylor and Nickel are so so close in terms of like. I mean if you watch their film, like they're they they're not the same player, but they're super. There's a lot they're, of similarities. They're very they're very similar. You know, and but but they're also a position that I think is like in today's game. Is as important as a point guard. No, I, and, and I agree with that. More important than a center, that. right? Yeah. So, how many of those guys can you not have? I think the question for Virginia's roster becomes: Is Statman able to get back healthy and and progress on what he had started to become, you know, leading into the season? And what's Tane Murray? Because like, this is not talking deal of both of either of them, but the, if they're not good, then having Taylor and Nickel on your team. You need you need those guys because by the time they get here, Murphy's on the way out the door. Um, and if you don't have a wing that can shoot and dribble, what what are you going to do, right? Um, so I mean, t- to me, like you know, twenty twenty two, you've got some time to figure it out. 
you've got some great pieces like Trout, Taylor, Nickel, any of those guys. I'd take all three if I could just because of the way the game is now. Um, and I, I don't mean to redirect the conversation, but for me, it's like, what are, what, what is Virginia next year? Like how, how did it, how does the roster next year become a winning team? Um, it's going to take some big leaps from guys who haven't yeah. shown it yet. That's true. And and I think, you know, Shedrick having an actual off season and, you know, trying to be in a different yeah. spot physically is a the big deal. The whole team having that. That's help. true too. And yeah. there's also the piece of like the, the transfers, like we can't, we can't minimize that. Right. Like we just can't, you know, like Sam Hauser yeah. may have sat a season. Um, yeah. But, Virginia is now, you know, between the title and, and stuff, like, I, I think they're at a place where they can go get a transfer if they want. I mean, Murphy was a was a fairly sought-after dude, and they landed him. Um, you know, I think that's... And Hauser could very well decide to come back. And that's true. He could. And if and if he does, that actually does fix a lot of things for them. The issue that you have is they, they still need a big. They still need a bouncy yes. forward. Um, because let's be real, like, at this point, Kafaro, the game is not... It's not where it was, even when Jack Salt was EVA. Like it's just not where it is. it was. Like you're gonna have too many long athletic dudes that you're just not gonna be able to set screens. I mean, even if you do have guys who can curl and 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 flare and stuff, like you're just not gonna have the the screen setting is just not gonna. You're gonna have to do a lot more individually to create that space um, than yeah. you maybe did in and the to past. Think, but and to think positively for EVA, like. We, I think we, every one of us would agree they need a, they need a springy big, bouncy big, athletic big, defensive big. All well, that's a lot of bigs. Did you want one of those dudes, uh, or did you need four, yeah. five? I would take any of them, but if we could get a combination <laughs> of multiple, that'd be great. But I think the advantage Virginia has there is just what you said. Like every guy playing this year, whether it's power five or not, is eligible to come back next year. So if you're a guy at a smaller school who showed yeah. out as a senior and had run out of your eligibility. Yeah. Now you have it. Now you can grad transfer and EBA yep. grad and, and play right away. And and Virginia will be able to show you, hey, this is the role you play. So so yeah, yeah what my, my guess is the 2021 roster gets a grad transfer if it's going to be good. Like I hope it does. Um but if it ends up with a, a two or three year transfer that might affect what they need in 2022. But that seems a little less likely um given they didn't pass that waiver rule or whatever. Oh me, um, I think in the in the big scheme, Justin, are you still here? He, yeah, he's he's there. <laughs> yeah, it's just a lot to process. Yeah, I think in the big scheme of things, um, from from a recruiting standpoint, you, you you're gonna need to go. You're gonna need to get a point guard. Now, if Keels were to pick UVA, that obviously changes the calculus some. But realistically, for 22, you're gonna want. You're probably looking at a four man class, right? Um. And they'll probably have more space than that. But I don't know you're going to see Tone go too many, like five. You know, five is a lot. That's a lot of dudes to get, you know, in, in one group. Granted, you know, basketball recruiting is not the way it was. It used to be that, you know, you planned, you know, to have so many openings based on how many, you know, openings you had three, you know, that you filled four classes ago, right? Like it was cyclical. That's not quite the same that way anymore, but. I don't know. From a space standpoint, there's going to be plenty of room. It's all about you know needs. It does help them that they have McNeely and they got him so early because they can sort of plan around him. And I do think that he's a guy. Maybe you know maybe he's not a national name, but when you when you talk to other kids, like I mean, obviously it's going to help them as he's trying to get the whole Isaac squared thing locked in. 
Um, I, I don't see a scenario where UVA doesn't take a, a, an actual big. I don't think you think of Trout that way. Um, but, I mean, I would – look, I, I'll be honest. If you can find a, a big in 21 who has a couple of years eligibility, I think I'd still take another one in 22, right? If you found a transfer and then you can find somebody in 22 because I feel like they – the game of basketball cannot – you're not you're just not going to be in a place where you're going to have a significant amount of success if you don't have a couple of those kind of guys on your roster, right? Like, Virginia's typically had one, um, and if not, they had, you know, a Dre Braxton kind of thing where you had the offensive guy and the defensive guy, and, you know, you were able to kind of switch them as needed and stuff. But, like, the way that they're going forward – think about, you know, today's point about the roster next year, Right. The, there are some guys who have to develop, right? McCorkle and, and um, Beekman and um, Abdul Rahim, especially. But, you know, you can look at Casey Morsell. You can look at, you know, whether Cody Statman, you know, where, 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 where does he land on things? The Murray kid coming in. Like, there's a whole lot of, like, guys who aren't necessarily seen as physical, and you're going to need some physicality. And I, I, I just think another big is, is, a, is, an, is a definite. And if they do that, now you're looking at, okay, you've got to make a choice between the Justins, right? Or excuse me, between the Tylers. Um, and you've got, a, you, you've got the, the, the Isaacs situation. I do think it's kind of fun they can have a recruiting class that's like two Isaacs and two Tylers. Um, the, the publisher in me can't can get that out of my um, wheelhouse. But anyway, I, I just think there's a whole lot there. And certainly um, having McNeely early helps him tremendously. Ferb, you got anything to add before we wrap up? Uh, no. Wow. <laughs> I think you guys I love it. Uh, no. I wish I could make that a title. Uh, dot, 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 no. What's stopping you? No. Well, I have, I have, I have two good ones. I've got, uh, I've got, um, ready to move on. And that sounds like Brad. Um, I don't typically like to, to pick my, to, to choose anything I said or it's about me. So it's probably going to be the first one. But anyway. All right. Uh, if you're somebody who found the podcast through the website, thank you very much for giving us a listen. If you don't mind, look us up on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever it is that you get your programs, and definitely check out CavsCorner.com. If you have not, uh, baseball is gearing up. Damon Dillman is out there hitting the streets, um, just cranking content. We'll get you ready for Duke this weekend. Lord willing, the creek don't rise. Ferber's power rankings will be out uh, as you listen to this on Thursday, later today. Um, and we will, you know, we'll see where this basketball season takes us and whatnot. So again, I want to thank everybody out there for continuing to support the show. I want to thank Dave and Ferber for giving graciously of their time as always. I very much appreciate all they do um, and all that they've always done. So um, shouts to them. So for David Spence and Justin Ferber, I'm Brad Franklin, publisher of CapsCorner.com. Thanks for coming out. We'll see you soon. That's so-